This is episode 165 of That Shakespeare Life. The video version of today's episode can be found in the digital streaming app for That Shakespeare Life. Download that today at CassidyCash.com app and stay tuned after the episode for even more details. Hello, I am Helen Ostovich, Professor Emerita of English and Cultural Studies at McMaster University. Another great method for studying the life of William Shakespeare includes listening to this. It's That Shakespeare Life with my friend, Cassidy Cash. Brooms were different then than today. Like today, they're made of a synthetic plastic that really just moves dirt around. But earlier, they were made of natural grasses from birch or broom. And that actually absorbed and picked up dirt and water. So when you swept, you were picking up a lot of the rubbish that you could maybe shake out later. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life with Cassidy Cash. Cassidy believes that if you desire to successfully learn or perform Shakespeare's plays, then understanding the real life and history of William Shakespeare himself is a must. That Shakespeare Life is the podcast that helps you go beyond the curtain of some of Shakespeare's most iconic works and explore the world of early modern England as Shakespeare would have lived it, learning from the writers, historians, and performers who know it best. And now, here's Cassidy. It seems even William Shakespeare had household floors to keep clean. While it likely wouldn't have been the actual William doing the majority of the sweeping in his household, one item the bard seems to have been familiar with through his 19 uses of the word sweep and one use of the word besom across his works is the household broom used for sweeping floors. The Bard uses broom at least three times in his plays, mentioning once a broom staff, and in The Tempest, Shakespeare calls attention to a broom grove, suggesting there was a particular plant or tree used for growing the material to make brooms in the 16th century. Here today to help us explore the people who made brooms, exactly who was doing the sweeping, and what were these plants they were made out of, along with folklore surrounding the broom, also called the broom besom, is our guest and author of Why Does Puck Sweep? The article examining the household cleaning scene of one of Shakespeare's most famous characters in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Please welcome our guest, Wendy Wall. Wendy Wall is the director of the Kaplan Institute for the Humanities and Avalon Foundation Professor of the Humanities in the Department of English at Northwestern University. She's the author of The Imprint of Gender, Authorship, and Publication in the English Renaissance and Staging Domesticity, Household Work and English Identity in Early Modern Drama. Learn more about Wendy, connect with her, and read her work in the show notes for today's episode. Hello, Wendy. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Cassidy. Great to be here. So I know at my house, I'm generally the person who does the sweeping, but culturally speaking for Shakespeare's lifetime, who would it have been in society that actually did sweep the floors? Well, it would, like everything, depend on how much money you had and your standing. But mostly it was the job of a female servant in the house or a male servant in some professional spaces like the theater or the housewife, depending on whether you had servants. So Shakespeare talks a little bit about these stereotypes, as Wendy points out in her article, Why Does Puck Sweep? And we'll link you to her article in the show notes for today's episode so you can read that. But in Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, the character of Puck is given a scene where he is sent to, quote, sent with broom before to sweep the dust behind the door, end quote. 
Wendy's paper calls attention to the role of female domestic workers in Shakespeare's lifetime. And these are the women who would be hired to both make and then use a broom. And they have this lower class reputation for gossip, suggesting that ballads and tales were considered a kind of mischievous stuff or fairy rubbish. Wendy, is giving Puck a broom in this scene to sweep with an example of Shakespeare applying a 16th century stereotype for the kind of people who swept floors? Well, I would say not exactly. There were some in Shakespeare's day who mocked lower class folks for believing in superstitious lore like fairies. They thought it was unsophisticated or vulgar. But the truth was the elites at court loved a good fairy story too. I mean, witness Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen. So in Midsummer Night's Dream, Shakespeare presents the fairies not as ignorant, but as strangely powerful. Like they straighten out the social problems that are threatening Athens and create a way for all the lovers to get married harmoniously. So I'd say that having Puck sweep at the end of Midsummer Night's Dream shows more that the elite court depends on the seemingly menial work of servants, the ones that are invisible to them largely. And so the ending, I'd say Cassidy somewhat positively values lower class labor. And I think one way to back up my claim would be to notice that Puck is not just sweeping, but simultaneously blessing the babies of the upper class and protecting the line of succession. Like the, the fairies are in the court to keep them from getting birth defects. So I'd say that's pretty impressive housework. Yeah, definitely goes beyond just sweeping. I don't, I don't have these magical qualities when I clean my house. Yeah, I wish I did too. It would be nice. <laughs> In 1584, Reginald Scott wrote a book titled The Discovery of Witchcraft, in which he identifies the custom of rewarding fairies for doing work at night, specifically calling out one fairy, Robin Goodfellow, for, quote, sweeping the house at midnight, end quote. Wendy, how is the broom associated with fairies in particular? Well, in Shakespeare's day, there were folk legends in which fairies were mischievous pranksters, but they were also somewhat really nosy about domestic life, and they were fanatics about cleanliness. And they were believed to check up on how well female maids were doing their jobs. They could pinch maids who didn't sweep the floor properly. Sometimes they would reward maids who did a great job of housekeeping by letting them have good dreams or falling in love. And there were even reputed to come into houses at night to help with these chores. So there were lots of ballads and folk stories that described fairies like this. The one you mentioned, Robin Goodfellow, is often depicted kind of like a satyr who's half human, half goat, but he's depicted with a broom in his hand. So the broom could be an emblem, not just of, you know, female housework or lower class servants, but sort of fairy power. And I think it's pretty interesting that the time in which Shakespeare was writing, ideas of fairies were changing. There was an older belief that associated them with the devil and with evil. And the broom even figures in that because they would often take the dust that was swept at the door and witches and fairies were said to use that in magical charms. But that older tradition was being replaced, and Shakespeare helped with this, with fairies who were more drawn from folklore, like elves and giants and mermaids, and they were very benign. So their housekeeping was not associated with, you know, this demonry, but with something kind of fun to believe in. And in my book, Staging Domesticity, I argue that Shakespeare sometimes drew on the idea of good housekeeping as an emblem for the English nation, like a a nation that's based on a good Protestant work ethic that women showed in their houses rather than kind of court values, those aristocrats used when they were self-indulgent. And in a couple of places, he recruits fairies who use housework to tell this story. 
So why does Puck sweep the dirt behind the door instead of getting it out of the house? Did 16th century sweeping include removing the dust that you gathered up? Like, did they have dust pans in Shakespeare's lifetime? It's a great question. Mostly when I see references to sweeping, it's about sweeping things outside the door. But if you think about it, not all doors lead outside, right? There's houses in the interior of a house where you might kind of sweep behind the door. And I was thinking about this. They didn't mention any dustpans or utensils for removing dust. But interestingly, brooms were different then than today. Like today, they're made of a synthetic plastic that really just moves dirt around. But earlier, they were made of natural grasses from birch or broom. And that actually absorbed and picked up dirt and water. So when you swept, you were picking up a lot of the rubbish that you could maybe shake out later. And the stuff you swept behind the door was only a part of that. But, you know, when I was thinking about this podcast, you've gotten me to think a lot about brooms, Cassidy. Um, I noticed that in a few advice books on gardening, I did notice that house dust can be used as a fertilizer for herbs like purslane. And so I guess they must have collected the dust somehow because they did use it in their gardens. But we just don't know how. Shakespeare uses the word broom three times in his works, while using the word besom, considered another word for broom, in his work only once. Wendy, what was the difference to Shakespeare between a broom and a besom? Are they the same thing? Yes, they're used interchangeably at this time. But I've noticed that some people use the word besom in a different context than a broom, because besom was used in the Bible and in sermons when you were talking about the final reckoning judgment day. And the word besom of destruction is just over and over and over used in sermons. So I think that besom was used when people were talking about metaphorical cleaning. I mean, there's several poems that talk about the besom of time that will sweep away our accomplishments. Where So broom, besom was a fancier word, but besom was, a broom was the more sort of prosaic everyday term for the same instrument. What materials were used to make a household broom? You mentioned both birch and broom from earlier. So is broom an actual plant? Yes. People in Shakespeare's day would have used the twigs of birches or things, the twigs from the broom flower. And the broom plant is a yellow flowering shrub. And in fact, the reference, the word broom can refer to those flowers. So a lot of recipes would say, take broom. And they don't mean the the utensil, the stick. They mean the actual flowers of the plant. I mean, later in time, the materials made to make brooms would change, but then it was made from natural grasses like birch and broom twigs. So who was it that made the broom? Were they constructed the same way that we think of brooms today with a handle and the brush at the end, or were they different? No, they were the same, except that they weren't flat. They were round. So you would take three objects. You would take a handle made from wood, and then these twigs, and then some kind of a string. And there were tracks, for instance, there was a a track that was describing what peddlers did in the day, and it had a kind of do-it-yourself way to make a broom. And it said, you need these three things, the twigs, the handle, and the winding rope. So who would have made them? Certainly people made their own brooms. That wasn't hard to do. But also they weren't that expensive, so you could buy one from a broom seller. And you know, over time, these would change. And I think it was around the 1800, a guy named Levy Dickinson decided to use a material from a plant that looked a little like corn. So it became known as broom corn. And that changed brooms forever. They didn't really use birch anymore. They thought this broom corn could really sweep things up a lot better. 
Wendy's work identifies a, quote, broom man or broom woman as peddlers of cheap household tools, end quote. Wendy, I assume this is what you're talking about when you mention where you could buy a broom from a, from a broom peddler. But these are mentioned in your work as being low on the social ladder in Shakespeare's England. So were these peddlers people who, did they travel around like a traveling salesman? I think about the post-Civil War United States and the idea of a, of a traveling peddler and a carpet bagger type person. Is, is that an accurate comparison to what was happening? Absolutely, Cassidy. Peddlers called broom sellers, broom women, but bro- but peddlers were known to carry large packs. They'd go from town to town. They're often mocked for carrying these very large packs. And when they opened them, they would spill out their wares, which were cheap products like needles and pots, even, even some texts called broadsides, which were one-page, cheaply printed ballads that people would buy and consume like news. And I've read about peddlers would sometimes even trade things. Like there's a, a trade, or I'll trade you a broom for some shoes. And the other thing I noticed about broom sellers is that in plays, they're noticed for their sound, for the fact that they cry out what they're advertising to sell. So broom women and broom men are often filling like this, the London soundscape by crying out that they're there to sell things. And there's one play after Shakespeare that has a broom man crying out that people are being so lazy and they're letting their long coats sweep their houses. And why don't they just buy a broom? Because, you know, they're not even sleeping, sweeping the floors. They're using broomsticks to whip their children and they should use the brooms and sweep the floor properly. So I think there was this kind of idea of the lower class itinerant peddler who was kind of moving around from neighborhood to neighborhood or town to town. Two mentions of the word unswept in Shakespeare's plays talk about a hearth being unswept or of a stone that's unswept. For Shakespeare, Wendy, were brooms specifically associated with the hearth of a home? And was that where the broom would have been kept in a house next to the fireplace? Yeah, I think there were several places a broom would have been kept, but one was definitely the hearth. Lots of uh, books in the day talk about cooking being done over the fire. And so there were constantly ashes from the wood that needed to be swept away. So it would say, you know, make sure before you start to to make this, this recipe, you need to sweep away the ashes. And the brooms by the hearth were usually shorter ones that hung on a hook by on the stone walls. I think there were also brooms that were longer handled that were kind of, they would sometimes say kept in the corner or behind the door. And I've noticed there were some in the stable to sweep the where the horses or animals were if you had a stable. But I think the one with the hearth is more important, Cassidy, because the hearth has a special sentimental meaning, you know, like hearth and home. People are nostalgic for mother's comfort and nourishment in the kitchen. And the same in Shakespeare's day. And so I think sometimes Shakespeare and others would use the positive associations people had with the hearth and domestic life to argue for a vision of community that was more inclusive you know, an idea of we that's like the little broom by the hearth stands for that. I know that we would love to dive in and explore the concept of a broom and what it was like in Shakespeare's lifetime to to have a broom or what they looked like. What are some of your favorite books or resources you can recommend we use to learn more? Well, there's not exactly a book or an article that's just about brooms. There's lots of work on domesticity, and there's lots of work on witchcraft and some on fairies, but maybe I would recommend a Slate article, and I can put the link here, that's a history of brooms that gives a sense of how they're made over the years. And there are a few Pinterest collections of images that show what a medieval and Renaissance broom would have looked like. 
some, there's even a YouTube video that shows how heritage craftsmen, you know, make a broom and you can get a sense of how people would have been making these in Shakespeare's day. We will link to some of these in the show notes for today's episode. So make sure you hang on to the end for the link for where to see those. Now, Wendy, we ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life, and that's, what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible. So your choice would be in addition to those. Well, that's a tough question. And I would say that it changes. The answer to that changes every month for me. But since my brain is geared to thinking about brooms, I'm going to say I would take Marilyn Robinson's novel, Housekeeping, because I already have Shakespeare in the Bible to read over and over. And Marilyn Robinson's novel, I think, is a lovely, beautiful, breathtakingly written account about two girls who are left orphaned in the care of an eccentric aunt. And just to keep with the broom theme, housekeeping is a sign of trying to heal really the wounds, emotional wounds in your life and keep away loss. So I think that would be something I would, I would love to reread over and over. That's a fitting suggestion for sure. Well, what's next for you? What are you working on now that you're excited about? I'm really excited about a project that I'm working on that is a digital critical edition of the poetry of a woman that hardly anybody knows about named Hester Poulter. And we just discovered her poems and works in the late 20th century, a graduate student found them in a library and no one had read them. And so Leah Knight at Brock University and I have decided that these poems, which are just amazingly about science, up-to-date astronomy, alchemy, religion, faith, politics, grief, really need to be read. And so we're creating, we have created a digital site called the Poulter Project. And it is an ongoing site where people can continue to edit her poems and tell stories about her and show how she needs to be read. That's what I'm really excited about right now. As you should be. That's fascinating. We will link to the Poulter Project in the show notes today so you can check out Hester Poulter's work as well and this wonderful digital critical edition you've put together. Thank you so much, Wendy Wall, for being here with us and walking us through the history of the broom from Shakespeare's Lifetime. This is a fun conversation. Yes, thanks for letting me be here today. It's not often that you find interest in talking about dirt and getting rid of it and Shakespeare in the same conversation. Be sure you stop by the show notes for today's episode, where you'll find resources you can use to learn more about brooms and broom besoms, as well as pictures of the broom flower, a picture of a broom peddler, and links to connect with Wendy about her work and the Poulter Project she mentions today. Find all these things at castycash.com slash EP165. That's castycash.com slash EP165. Don't forget that the video version of our episode today is available inside the streaming app for That Shakespeare Life. Are you new to the streaming app? Well, here's what it is. Our digital streaming app is where all the video versions of our show are made available completely ad-free. Inside the app, we also have a collection of award-winning animated plays, archaeological site footage contributed from around the world by our partners in archaeology, history short films on Shakespeare's life, and even more video content all about the life of William Shakespeare. Plus, we have just started adding printable history guides, ebooks, and illustrated maps that coordinate with specific episodes of our show, and we put those in the app as well, so you can easily turn the video content into a complete lesson plan for your classroom, or just enjoy following along with a visual guide while you enjoy the show. Explore the app and subscribe today at castycash.com app. That's castycash.com A-P-P. That's it for this week. Thank you for being here. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learn something new about the Bard. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life. 
As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.